Bonjour. Welcome to the Dexabit Data Diaries. This is your captain speaking. You're listening to the Data Diaries. Data Diaries. So he's got the best voice? Nice. Yes. <laughs> I remember the first time I walked up the stairs to the Met. It is such a pilgrimage for anyone who loves art and a quintessential New York experience. Today we're going to hear from Will Sullivan, who is the Head of Visitor Experience at the Met, and he must know that place like the back of his hand because he's been there for the last 28 years. Will came to the Met from his career origins in fashion, and he worked his way up in retail before transitioning into Visitor Experience. And so today we're going to get an incredible knowledge download from Will's experience and his special brand of people-first leadership. Can you tell us what life is like in New York at the moment? It's actually very exciting to watch everything change, and it's been changing quickly. You watch the news and you see changing guidelines and vaccination rates improving. It's The energy that is New York is definitely coming back in pockets, maybe not in the same numbers, but it is just heartwarming for someone like myself who's dedicated a career to working with the public and visitors to New York, really. It's wonderful to hear, Will. I think we would have only have dreamed of this situation a year ago when you know the world in New York was in such a difficult place. And it's uh, just so happy every day waking up at the moment to wonderful news and, and growth and things being able to reopen and people being able to get back in and enjoy their public places. Yeah. Oh, it's wonderful. When this pandemic started, obviously the world shut down, New York shut down, and I joined the New York City Museums Reopening Task Force. And really what that was was the major museums in New York City came together, large and small, and we continue to meet weekly, and there are various subgroups, and we compare all sorts of notes and approaches. And it's just been a wonderful network. And as a community, as a sector, being able to come together to solve a gigantic problem. And that's probably been the highlight of my entire career. I can tell you that much. Wow. Isn't that incredible that out of such a horrendous situation comes something, such a great gift around bringing communities together? Absolutely. It was a gift to me personally, but I believe to all of us who worked um, so hard and trying to make sure we opened museums in New York safely. We opened them all together in August, September, and we've remained open and that's been wonderful. We've kept everyone safe and kept our visitors happy. I remember when the pandemic first hit, we ran a few leadership summits back in, would have been March 2020, just as things were breaking out. And it just felt, in the middle of disaster, it just felt incredible sitting on these webinars with thousands of people from different cultural institutions around the world and commercial attractions. And just being there with the industry just made everything feel so much better. Exactly. And you didn't feel alone. And Mm. I, you know... If it were not for the work with the New York City Museum's Reopening Task Force, I wouldn't have met people like yourself. It's just been a way to connect that was unimaginable in March 2020. I know that the, your work at the Met is fascinating to me because you've come from a this amazing retail career into the cultural sector 
and you've then gone from an expertise in that retail, come into the world of visitor experience and now head up experience at the Met. And I think this is such an interesting area for visitor attractions in general at the moment and particularly for cultural institutions because we've got this big journey of growth ahead of us and while on the cultural side being there for visitors and their experience and their engagement with collections is so important there's also the ability to bring that experience into the world of retail and bring that retailing into the world of that experience and that's going to be such an important pillar of strength as we go forward into recovery because our cultural institutions and commercial around the world need that right now to help boost the losses that they've faced over the past 12 months. And so I'd love to just get a bit of a big picture here around the Met and and what retailing and experience means at the Met because I know you've got a number of stores on site. You've got cafes, you've got an e-commerce. Can you paint a picture for us of what the world of retailing is like at a scale like that and how the breadth of those kind of operations work? Sure. What is very interesting to me in, in all of my earlier years, the beginning of my career at the Met, very focused on retail and it was store operations. So being able to just welcome the world in, not only to the multiple locations that we had inside the building, but we had stores around the city at airports and there were licensees shops around the world. And the one thing that was always in common for whether you were buying something, a catalog in the building, or you were buying something at an airport on the way out of New York or down at Rockefeller Center looking at the annual Christmas tree. What I had always realized, we were in the business of memory. We were in the business of extending that visit. We were in the business of of extending that kind of magical trip to New York, to the building. And those were always the things that resonated. So that was my playground in the store, in the sense of always working with the public, working with the staff, and really feeding it back into buyers and merchandisers as to what the public really wants, instead of maybe what individuals perceived that the marketplace should be like. So that was the foundation in the experience part. And then about three and a half years ago, we were changing our admissions policy at the Met. And you could read all about it on the website. And this happened in March, 2018. We then needed to get a group of people together to figure out how are we going to do this? How are we going to train the staff? We were a pay-as-you-wish model, meaning people can make a donation of any sort. And we changed that to, if you're not a New York State resident or student of the tri-state, you must pay full fare. So it was a big change for the Met. And there were a group of us coming together to solve for that. Well, not only was that successful and we were able to change the policy because it's just a great deal to see 5,000 years of art for the price of admission. And at the time, we had the three locations here in New York. And what I realized was that as I was looking at the course of my career at the Met, it was retailing and then it's admissions and it's groups and it was membership sales. And I realized that it really was in the business of having the staff connect with the visitor. And if if you look at, I think, pre-pandemic, our attendance, we were 
what, 7 million visitors mm. across all of our locations. That's daunting to think of 7 million visitors coming in and how many of them come into your stores, cafes, buying tickets, wanting to go on tours. And then you start to realize it all comes down one-on-one. It is that ambassador, that sales person, that person in the restaurant, one-on-one with the visitor. And it is our role to make sure that we are meeting that visitor one-on-one and not thinking of them as just 7 million. That really transformed the way I think of visitor experience. Work on the people skills first, get people who love to talk, get people who love to help people, and then the rest of it, whether it's restaurants, ticket selling, membership selling, retail selling, you've got just magic in a bottle is how I see it. One of my favorite stories is when I moved from the store into the Great Hall at Fifth Avenue, moved into the Great Hall during this project for the admissions policy change, I came into it, well, I have 25 years of experience. I know this building. I know this place. Well, boy, was I wrong. The first day I stood at the door welcoming people and trying to get them on uh, on site at the registers, where to go, I was encountering someone that was completely different from those I worked with the store. I then realized what happened was I was part of the goodbye. So in the store, in a museum or any cultural, you are working with a group of people, for the most part, that have been through. They've seen your exhibition. They've experienced the art. They've experienced whatever it is that you are known for, and they want to bring it home. So I encountered something completely different. I encountered people at the door that had never been there before. They didn't know where to go. Where's the, where do I check my coat? How do I redeem my ticket? I don't speak English. Where do I find a map? So I've been an advocate within the museum. I believe everyone, directors, the president, finance, it does not matter. You should be at the door welcoming in your guests because the minute you do that, you are going to put all the other pieces together because you are going to welcome them, you're going to see them, and they are going to tell you to your face what it is that they want. Thank you for sharing that. I love that, that that idea of leadership coming in down to the front door to meet visitors as they come in and understand what they're there for. And I love what you said there about retail being part of the goodbye, about helping visitors bring it home with them. It's such an important part of the visitor experience is sort of how someone leaves. Yes. And I do believe those buying, developing, working on products, whether it's a scarf, a book, or the ticket or selling a tour, you need to be in front of that customer for a while, that visitor for a while, and that is going to have a great impact on the product, whether it be a physical product or a tour or a membership. It's transformative. I'm really curious. Well, few museums have gone through the economic experiment that the Met did a few years ago with that admission policy change. Did that impact the per cap you saw from the shop? You know, do people turn up at the Met with a budget of $50 and if there is no ticket price, they spend it in the store and if there is, they spend less in the store or did you not notice a difference? In in terms of the actual details, I don't think we saw a great deal of difference, right? 
it, as we were getting ready, of course, it was a big internal concern, making sure we're doing this right. Is it right for the city? Is it right for New Yorkers? How is the staff going to handle this? And and what we found as we had months, it was a very long period of time, of preparing for that change. And I was part of the really the implementation of the change of the emissions policy. It was, I believe, March 5th. 2018. And there was this buildup to March 5th, 2018. (laughs) Well, when March 5th, 2018 happened, we closed that day and it barely made a difference. The international tourists who were coming to visit, they were coming to visit, they were coming in, they were paying to enjoy the place. And the motivation that I spoke to earlier, they still went to the cafes, they still went into the store because it was just part of the experience. And we didn't see it having a negative impact at all. It's fascinating. And I know there's quite a few venues out there that are either considering implementing a price ticket for the first time, like you all did, or that they're considering significant price hikes in ticket ticket, uh, admission and financial foundations for these organizations. So that's a really interesting lesson learned there that um, we shouldn't worry too much about that per cap impact. Right. If you just think about what it is that your visitor comes for, and what they really want, traveling anywhere in the world pre-pandemic and hopefully soon post-pandemic, you, there's a certain mindset that you have, maybe in this place only once. So you will pay to see that attraction that or go to visit that museum, and you will want to bring that catalog home from an exhibition you saw, and you will gladly pay for it. And if there's value there and it's meaningful, I think people will support you. And we've seen people support the Met in ways that's just been pretty inspiring, actually. Mm. And how does this work compare from your previous experience in the fashion world? I imagine you don't quite get that world of community and support and quite the same brand love for social good that you might in a cultural institution. What's different versus similar there? What lessons can even be learned by a visitor attractions in this space? I really think that at the heart of whatever it is that we're doing, if, if you're a f- fashion brand, if you're trying to sell a product or sell tickets the way that I've been doing these last few years, if you understand the, that what it is that the, the that visitor and that customer wants and you are, I know maybe it's overused a lot, but if you are an authentic and the Met, we, we offer all of our galleries, excellent exhibitions. The world of admissions and tours that I've been doing is very different from my retail world. It's a completely different thing in terms of how you, you sell a product and you service a product. But ultimately, when magic happens, when you help that visitor buy their ticket or you sell that membership and that that love they have for supporting you and supporting all that the Met does is just really wonderful. That sentiment and that motivation of loving what they experienced and supporting you through the purchase is the same. And well, you've you've gone from this retail side to the visitor experience side, so you've seen both of those worlds. How do those teams 
on both sides of that fence work together best to create experiences that are both engaging and commercially compelling? What do those kind of conversations look like? And what data do you use in that team and understanding what's happening out in the wider venue for the context of what you're seeing in that intersection between the commercial side and the experience side? I find that the team that I'm working with now in visitor experience and the um, admissions side of the house, they are most motivated by being connected to the galleries and to the art. There is this desire, this hunger to go behind the scenes, learn about an exhibition, learn about a curatorial department, attend conservation talks, whatever there is that they can learn more about speaking to the galleries. So when people come in and ask, what would you see? What do you recommend? They are very interested to speak to their experience and to say, hey, I just visited the Asian wing. You should check out this particular work of art. And so I have found it to be very different where the motivation in my store years in particular, people wanted to be confident about selling what they were selling. They wanted to know what they were selling. So I suppose I said all of that, but that, again, the motivation is the same. You are a salesperson in the store. You want to be knowledgeable about the product you're selling, a pair of earrings, let's say. Or if you're selling a ticket, you want to be knowledgeable about the exhibition that someone's just asked you about. So maybe I've just answered this in a roundabout way. It's the same, but you get to that wanting to be an expert in the product or the thing you are selling. You get to it through a different connecting way, I suppose. What you've talked about there, that motivation that comes from bringing that team into the museum, immersing them in the collection, getting them to enjoy the exhibitions, understand the experience as a whole, and bring all of that back into inspire the relationship that they have with visitors and the storytelling that they can continue in that moment of that sale in shop or in restaurant. That is such an amazing thing to do with a team. And it sounds like a, a, a fantastic way to not only help that team really enjoy what they're doing, but to really increase the sales performance. Because I can just imagine as being a visitor on the side of other side of that equation, that's a real difference having that conversation with somebody, even if it is in a cafe when you're buying a cup of coffee, that person on the other side of the counter can have that kind of conversation and engagement with you. Exactly. Years ago, I learned the power of connecting the store team to the building through talks in the galleries or curator would walk them through an exhibition. There was a really, really great stock guy that we had and he worked, he stocked the shop. There wasn't anything you couldn't ask this young man to do. (laughs) And I remember one day he asked, after a very busy day in the store, successful day in the store, he asked me, what is a special exhibition? Is that a room where people sit down and watch a movie? And my brain exploded. And I'd realized, knowing the layout of the building, this individual, this young man, used to come in through the service entrance at the loading dock. He would go to his locker and into the staff cafeteria, up the back steps, work all day in the store, and then backtrack. He never left the store. And then I realized to myself, wow, how can he be in a place like the Met Fifth Avenue and not know the basics, and I thought of it as shame on me, how do I get 
this team, whether you are restocking the shelves or down at the loading dock, how do you get everyone into the galleries so you can speak to those note cards that are based on the Monet paintings Mm -hmm. in a way that, oh, yeah, that's up on the second floor. Go to the top of the steps and make a left. That is power. Are there any other opportunities, those magic moments for continuing the visitor experience into the store and likewise bringing that commercial opportunity out into the visitor experience of the gallery or the attraction itself? One of the things, and this is what we've learned during this recovery period or or hopefully going into steady recovery period. When we reopened our doors in August, we were required by the state to have reserved uh, time slots to manage the flow of people into our buildings. And so with that, if you were a New Yorker, you make a reservation to come in to pay at the register, or you buy your ticket in advance and your ticket is basically on your phone. What we didn't realize at the time, because this is state mandated at the and you were doing this, we were we before the pandemic, we only knew about five percent of the people or less than ten percent of the people who were coming into the building. We now capture data of 95% of who coming to the building. And as they're coming to the building, we know when they're coming, we have their email, and now we can communicate. We can tell them before they come, here are things that you may be interested in. Don't forget, here are some of the audio content you can listen to. There is a cafe, there is a store. And at the end of the visit, we just implemented this a month or so ago, we are now able to do the net promoter score. Send an email and just say, hey, how did we do? Would you recommend us to someone else? So the power in being able to communicate pre-visit, post-visit, get that information in real time and make adjustments is something that I just couldn't have imagined ever having at at our fingertips because in the end, it will help us improve the experience for anyone coming into the building. That's such an important point to have that holistic view of visitor experience and including um, all of those parts of it, like say pre, during and post. And I think commercially um, merchandise does play such an important part in, like you said earlier, what visitors take home with them. And I think another big change that we're seeing in the wake of the pandemic, aside from public programming, is also a lot of attractions are sort of looking at their business model and thinking about what aspects they outsource, what they insource. Um, And I know when it comes to food and beverage and sometimes even retailing, there's lots of exciting business models around that uh, above sort of a plain old, either we do it in-house or we lease it out. There's a lot of revenue share arrangements coming in and presumably that also involves a share of the visitor experience as a whole. What are your views on involving partners actually inside the venue? and When and why does that make sense or not? So our relationship with the restaurant, for example, that has always been a partner. And our new partner is Bon Appetit Management. They joined the organization or took over the account in February of 2020. So they were able to operate for a good four to six weeks and then everything shut down. And why I believe that arrangement works well, they're wonderful people, they're wonderful partners. They know the restaurant business. They are 
they understand what it is that we want to do, and they work so closely with us to understand the galleries, the exhibitions. And so the chef, Bill Telepan, will come up with specials that are related to the exhibition. So when we had the Goya exhibition, that inspired some of the dishes he did, some of the dishes he made. And it's just been wonderful in that way. For retail, obviously, that's been something that's been in-house for many years. That's been discussed also for years. And I know other museums choose to do that outside. But I do believe because of wanting to maintain that that connection to your visitor, to your members, publishing our own catalogs. It's something that's very important to us that we maintain that and continue to do it in-house. I've watched that business change. There's a new head of um, retail and he's doing a really great job, very much in tune with listening to what the the public wants. Actually saw e-commerce get a nice bump during the pandemic because people home looking for inspiration, buying directly from us. I think if you can maintain and do it yourself and keep that connection to your visitor and customer, I think it's the way to go. You mentioned a really interesting point there, which is the e-commerce bump. I think I've heard that everywhere that everyone has enjoyed such amazing growth and on the e-commerce side. And a lot of people have taken their advertising budgets from their on-site visit while they were closed and thrown them at e-commerce and boosting product sales online. And for some of them, that revenue has then enabled them to sustain their organization at that time where they've lost admission revenue, which has been so important. And and interestingly, I was talking uh, just yesterday to a e-commerce um, software company who work well beyond software visitor attractions. And they were saying that e-commerce bubble is finally coming down the other side. And at a global level, they're starting to see e-commerce tra- transactions drop off again, which is a shame that the, the party might be coming to an end, but wonderful that it helped so many organizations th- through such a difficult time. It was a very nice surprise. And even our membership base, our head of membership, she saw very healthy numbers and people still supporting, couldn't wait to get back into the building. And even though some of the benefits have been greatly reduced, for example, not being able to do special events or evening receptions and things like that, just wanting to make sure that they supported the institution during this terrible crisis. And it's just been wonderful to see the power of being on the web and those that do want to support you are able to through shopping for gifts or holiday online with us or renewing their membership or giving a gift membership. That's been wonderful. You've mentioned a couple of really interesting metrics there. First of all, around member sales, we've talked about ticket sales and top line revenue overall. But that aside, thinking back to your time in retailing, what are some of the key metrics that are really important to you when you're working in that space? One of the things in my retail years, one of the things that we would do when I was very focused with that team was to really look at what percentage of the people coming into the door. You know, we were able to install Mm. on people counters. So it was important for us to understand what percentage of the um, visitors actually came into our store and average transactions, obviously, and then really looking at 
what that per capita was for the building. X number of people came into the building, spent X number of dollars in the store, and we would work out our per cap. And we really use that with the team to motivate them. I find that most people love numbers, or maybe it's just me because I'm a geek when it comes to numbers. <laughs> you me, but, it, but it, there's something fun in that to beat those numbers. And at the registers, and I still go into the, the store, and obviously I know the folks, they'll say, hey, we're at 80% of our goals today. Hey, we beat our goal. Did you see what we did last week? And obviously it's just a group of people that are dedicated to the museum. They love what they do. They love the books and the products that they sell, but the numbers give a group of people something to work towards that kind of like healthy competition and like, look what we did. We needed to do X number of dollars today and we beat that. And I think it's exciting. So the metrics, I suppose, are dependent on a particular location. And I learned in a training session many years ago, people don't um, do what you expect. People do what you inspect. And I remember thinking that, well, that's a little, you know, big brother-ish. But I understood you, you need to make something important. If that particular metric if measuring how many people come into the store, how do we work together to get more people in admissions talking about the store or the restaurant or the Met Live art performances? If you can do that, then you help the whole. That is an incredible phrase there. People don't do what you expect. People do what you inspect. Exactly. That, that is magical. And you've mentioned five really important numbers there. Aside from top-line revenue, we've got conversion rate of people coming into the store, transaction rate, per cap, and percent of daily goal. And that that second one there of conversion rate, the number of people who come into the venue that then go into the store, it's one of my favorite numbers because when people tell you they want to grow revenue out of the store – that is the easier number to shift, I think, than getting transaction rate or per cap spend up. It's, it's a lot faster to get it's, more people it, to come into the shop. Exactly. When you look at it, and traditionally, I forget, but it, it was pre-pandemic, it was below, it, it hovered between 10 and 15% of the door came into the main store. So to your point, what if you got 20% of the people who came into mm-hmm. the door and just bought the same sorts of things and spent the same sort, sorts of dollars? That's just mind-blowing. One of the things, just to ask you one last question or two, I'm interested in team hiring, particularly on the, on these retail and frontline sides, because sadly that is one of the areas and teams that has been most impacted by the pandemic. And there are a lot of cultural and commercial attractions out there right now who are beginning to rehire those teams and it is such an opportunity to do things differently and perhaps to look at how we organize those teams, how we structure those roles. What is your views on the order of execution of a hiring plan as we scale? Um, I presume you know, everybody sort of starts with a store manager and perhaps a few staff, but as you scale up from there to maybe a few stores or as your turnover gets more significant, as we're experiencing growth and recovery, how do you specialize and structure those skill sets and who do you hire next and in what order? 
So one of the things we've done, and I've been fortunate because working at, at a museum, sometimes things are slow and, you know, in a recruiting department, for example, isn't as fully staffed as you'd like. But both in my retail world and in this visitor experience world, you do the hiring yourself, meaning your team does it. So we do group interviews and it's been successful in my retail years and, and now the, the visitor experience admissions world. So what we do is we put into place in both where you hire seasonal or temps first. So that's been, that's really, once you have your basic team, your core team in place, then you're able to do this. And what we've been doing is hiring temps and seasonals for the big peaks, the tourist peaks, the holiday peaks. And what that has allowed us to do is to make sure that there's continually a pipeline of people coming through. What we love are our students or people looking for a part-time job. We have full-time jobs. And what has been really been helpful the last um, few years in the visitor experience team, we changed the model in terms of how we pr- approach hiring. And, and this isn't a criticism of those that, that did this before I, I came to the department, but there was often this approach to want to hire people who want to be writers or conservationists or curators and be involved in the art, which makes total sense at a museum. But the job itself in visitor experience is much more about hospitality and answering questions and the all-time favorite, where is the restroom question, you have to answer that as though you've never heard that question before. So looking for people that have worked in retail, restaurants, aspiring actors, or, or people that just want to rejoin the workforce in a way has transformed the welcoming approach because they are people people welcoming your people. And that has been super helpful. And again, I think if you have a strong management team and a supervisor team that shares along the way, brings you into the galleries, explains the Met Live Arts program, brings you to the restaurant so you know the menu, you then have a team that can speak to all that you do. And the turnover tends to be less because people are happy doing what they do in that particular role. Because the expectation is clear. And I find that people aren't always so clear as to what the expectation is in a particular role. Sure, it's the Met. Like, wow, it's the Met. But you will be doing this at the Met. Are you clear what that is? And it's certainly great work, but we don't want to mislead you. That's such great advice as we go out there hiring around sitting expectations and managing for turnover, which I know is such a, a tough thing and, and frontline. Thank you for that. And Will, a uh, last one to end with, what makes you excited about the future of retail and cultural institutions? Any trends that you're following closely? I just think we've all been through so much. And I think that no matter what the actual product is, People will come and visit you. People will spend their time. And it does not matter if you, uh, if it's the school kid who wants to bring the pencil home with the Met's name on it, or you want to buy a gift. I'm just excited that people have been locked up, isolated. And when they do come and visit, they are going to continue to do what they've done for decades and decades. And that is visit your store, 
want to find that item. And today it's a mask with a Monet print on it, right? Because people are wearing it. <laughs> but it is, it, the motivation has not changed because you want to support, you want to share. And quite honestly, I think people just want to brag. Oh, I went to the Met. I went to MoMA. I went to wherever. And look at what I bought. Look at the gift I'm giving you. That's never going to change. And I'm excited about that because I think there is going to be pent up demand I've been home. I've been watching all this stuff virtually. Now I want to look at it. I want to feel it. And I want it in my hands and carry it out the door. I can't wait to get back to New York, Will, and I oh. can't wait to get back up those steps of the Met. I know. And I will definitely be bringing home a souvenir or two <laughs> when the time comes. Thank you so much for joining us today. That Thank was you. a incredible load of advice for us all to face the next journey of our recovery. Greatly appreciate you sharing with us. It was wonderful chatting with you today. Um, Look forward to welcoming you and everyone else to New York.